back to QAV. This week on QAV, we talk about uh, Bloody Thursday, James's great QAV results, how Navexa calculates portfolio returns, Buffett's global market indicator, CVW, Clearview Wealth, hiring investment bankers, CCV's new QAV score, audit reports are still coming out, and ATL's audit. That's what's coming up on the free episode of the podcast today. So let's get into the show. Welcome back, Seafood. This is episode 437 of QAV. We're recording Monday the 13th of September 2021, 3.12pm in the afternoon. What's new in your world, Seafood? (laughs) Same old, same old. Can go for a picnic now, though, with five people. <laughs> Otherwise, it's locked down as, as always here. Oh, God. Unless you want to go to Bondi Beach for a swim. Then it doesn't <laughs> worry. Don't worry about it. I see Gladys turned up to the press conference today. Yeah, I think she's had a bit of blowback about that. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, fun, fun, fun. Well, we've got an action-packed show today, Tony. Lots happening. I want to talk about Bloody Thursday, first of all. Last Thursday, I heard some people in the media were calling it Bloody Thursday, blood on the tracks, to quote Bob Dylan. The market took a hit. You're frowning at me like you uh, don't know what's going on. <laughs> I didn't even hear about that. <laughs> <laughs> didn't see it, didn't register. Don't care. Doesn't matter. <laughs> Correct. Well, <Yeah. laughs> it, it mattered to the QAV portfolio. We're uh, back down today, neck and Ooh. neck with all odds, or the ASX 200 anyway, for this financial okay. year. Over the long haul, we're not. But again, this is, again, according to the Nevexa way of measuring it, which mm. you have some issues with, but we'll talk about that later on. But, okay, okay. so Bloody Thursday gets no, nothing from you. No, no, no. Didn't, What's that? Never even heard of it. Don't care. Okay, moving <laughs> right <care>. along. <laughs> never heard. Want to give a shout out to James on Facebook. He said, uh, I've uploaded all my new and old trades into ShareSite to compare my investment returns from before joining QAV against those made after joining QAV. And while it's been only seven months and I've made several mistakes, e.g. not selling when the three PTL said to sell, uh, good old rookie mistake, Mm -hmm. (laughs) the difference is remarkable. Pre-QAV, 31 losers, 17 winners, 3.1% average annual return over five years. Post-QAV, three losers, 11 winners, 16.8% return over seven months. Not only has QAV improved my bank balance, but it has introduced me to investors who've helped me grow as an investor. All in all, QAV has been brilliant for me, and I'm happy to tell anyone foolish enough to stop long enough to listen. (laughs) Uh, Congratulations, James. Uh, Yeah, thanks, James. And keep going. Keep telling people. Yes. And keep telling us how it's going. Yes. Because, you know, we love to get those stories because – Otherwise, it's just us talking into thin air. I mean, it, it, well, at the end of the day, the only way that we know we're doing a good job is if people tell us what kind of returns they're getting by mm. following the recipe. You know, How's your chocolate cake turning out if you follow the recipe? Is it good? Is it tasty? Is it moist? It's one of my favourite words, moist. Is it moist? Is your QAV moist? That's what we want to know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Okay. <laughs> Sorry, I just got to write that down. That's a title. It's your QAV moist. Sounds like a fruitcake at the moment. More than a chocolate well, cake. one of us is a fruitcake. I don't think people need to guess too hard which one of us it is. Okay, so we were talking last week about Navex's yeah. way of reporting our results. And mm-hmm. Navarro Trusolo generously responded with a big long email and then sent us to a 
blog post on their website that explains it. And they use something called AYE, Average Years Invested, is the way I understood it. But it sort of sounded like what you've been telling me to do to calculate the return on my portfolio, which is have a look at how much you invested per stock, how long it was invested for, what when you sold it, what's, how much you returned, and then doodly-daddly, sprinkle some yeah. pixie dust on it and you get a result. Yes. Right. Yes, correct. And look, and to be very fair to Nevexa and Navare, it's the same thing that uh, ShareSite does as well when I do reports in ShareSite about performance. And it's apparently, I didn't know this until they came back to us, but apparently it's what fund managers use when they're reporting their returns. And, and it's exactly what you said. It's it's trying to take out of the equation, particularly for a fund manager, money coming in or money going out. So like if you're a big fund manager and there's a run in Wall Street and people start selling your your stock or redeeming their their units from your fund, well, the fund gets smaller. And if you manage your performance just simply on starting position of the fund for the year, and how much it's grown or shrunk by the end of the year, then a lot of that movement can come from money flows, money going in and money going out just from people buying or selling units in the fund or or redeeming their shares in the fund. And so that, that's what they're trying to do is take that out of the equation. So they, they want to just look at you bought this stock on this day, you held it for this many days. If you had this return, if I prorated it up to a year and add all those up, this is what your return is on an annual basis. So it, it's how well do you invest? And, and I get that. That makes all the sense. The downside to that process is if you turn over the portfolio a number of times in a year, it's still measuring how well you invested with all that churn, but it may make you look better or even potentially worse than what you would be if you just took the closing value of the fund away from the starting value of the fund. Right. Because you may have had, in terms of how much was invested and if it's churning, you may have had three years worth of investment in one year if that makes sense, because you hold, you turn the portfolio over three times. Mm-hmm. Even though it's still giving you the average, which is should look right, when you look at our performance in using the Nevexa methodology, it's saying we were 37 or 38% up, which when you looked at the starting portfolio price and the ending or the current portfolio price, two years on. Value. Yeah, the value, sorry. It, it didn't truly reflect either the compound growth rate or the just simple growth rate. So what the portfolio is up 50%. Hmm. In two years, which is about a you know 21, 22% compound growth rate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but Nevex is saying we're up 38%. And Nevex is saying that because it's taken all those individual holding time periods and added them all up and then given us the, the how well did we invest number, I guess is the best way to put it. If we were comparing ourselves to, say, a big fund, that might be a legitimate comparison to make if that's the way the big fund calculates their performance. But we're comparing ourselves to the ASX, which hardly ever churns. You will get, you know, four or five stocks coming in and out of the ASX 200 on a quarterly basis. So it's not going to churn that much. And so it's much, I think the better comparison is just simply our current portfolio value was X, our starting portfolio was Y, and then we can use the CAGA formula, which takes into account how long, according to the number of years. So it's um, from memory, it's ending value over starting value raised to the power of the number of years we've held at minus one. So when you, uh, you know, we've always quoted 19.5% for you, mm-hmm. your portfolio over 25, 30 years, you're calculating just using that CAGA formula that you use then. Yeah, that's right. And I did originally do what Navarro was doing it because, as you know, my portfolio is also our living 
is also covering living expenses, it's covering tax payments, it's covering mortgage repayments and all that kind of stuff. So it's a net number. And I originally started to try and back all those things out and just look at stock A was held for 10 months and it produced this return and then prorated that to get to 12 months and then add them all up. And A, that was just <laughs> too hard to do manually. But B, after a while, as the portfolio grew, that the ins and outs for other things weren't as, you know, were small compared to the compounding of the investment. So I just stopped doing it and started using that that CAGA formula I just outlined. And it's also, I think, if you're measuring yourself against the ASX, it's a better way of doing it too because that's how, that's how I've measured the ASX performance as well. And so do you know how stock doctors, dollar-weighted and time-weighted returns compare to this? I don't. I don't. It's an interesting can of worms, isn't it? Well, I, I put our portfolio, the QAV portfolio, back into Stock Doctor last week to try and get, you know, some sort of comparison. Yeah. <laughs> and it says dollar-weighted return per annum, 23.57%. Time-weighted return per annum, 7.02%. <laughs> well, I think that's a question for your Stock Doctor account manager because, yeah... <laughs> And it says current value 29,861.05, whereas uh, Nevexa says 30,669.29 today. <laughs> there may be some dividends that I haven't processed. I had to process a yeah. bunch of dividends in Nevexa today, which I haven't done in Stock Doctor. So it might just be that. But yeah. 7% per annum? Uh, what? Yeah. H- how does that? Make any sense? It says like we started at twenty thousand. It says total return ten thousand three hundred and forty-one. So anyway, you slice it. You know, it's we have fifty percent more value mm-hmm. in the portfolio now than we had two years ago. Yet it says a seven percent time-weighted return. Yeah. That that makes no sense. It doesn't make any sense to me either. Unfortunately, <laughs> <laughs> so confusing all this shit. Really, it's just like yeah. oh my god. It's like. Yes, I agree. Talking about COVID vaccination. <laughs> well, that's why I think you should just take the, the simple formula as N from start and then use the CAGA formula to get the compound. Well, I did that in my emails with uh, Navare and those guys. And can you remember what I said it was? Not off the top of my head. But if we're up 50% in two years, I would think it's going to be around 21%, 2021, 22 let me see. I calculate the CAGR as 23.39%, which is basically the okay. dollar-weighted return figure that I'm getting from Stock Doctor. Okay. Give or take. Yeah. About 23 mm-hmm. point something percent. So that makes sense as a CAGR number. It seems to map up to the CAGR number anyway. Right. Now, I, I, I'm not an expert on all this and I gave up on trying to do it in any sort of intricate way a long time ago and just used the simple CAGR formula. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's that. Go back a step. Warren Buffett's global market indicator hits record signaling crash, <laughs> according to <laughs> the Financial Review last week. Warren Buffett's favourite market indicator has surged to a record high of 142%, signaling US and international shares are heavily overpriced and could plummet in the months ahead. We've talked about this on and off. Yeah, you could have run that headline for about the last two or three years probably every day. Yeah, probably, right? But it's getting yeah. higher. It's it's still going, which yeah. is – but the point you always make, like, yeah, okay, it's headed for a crash, but that could be tomorrow, six months from now, five mm. years from now. Two years. We don't know. Exactly. So what do you <laughs> do? Know. You just keep doing. Yeah, we don't try and forecast. We now cast. 
Now cast. As the governor of the RBA said, we don't try and forecast. When something happens that now, then we act. Yeah. Yeah. So, and look, just there's some interesting, I did read something, I think it was in Livewire a couple of weeks ago about this, that when Buffett, and he, he took this from, from memory from Phillips or, no, was it Phillips or Cape Schiller? Schiller, the ratio of the stock market valuation versus GDP. When Buffett first started talking about this, interest rates were much higher and that'll have an effect on valuations. Mm -hmm. And also too, corporate tax rates were much higher as well and they've been lowered aggressively under Donald Trump in the US. So this guy who wrote the article I read in Livewire made a case which said that the market's fairly valuable when you take into account those two things. Right. And I was at Berkshire Hathaway AGM, oh, I don't know, was it five years ago now? And Buffett was asked this very same question and he said, yes, the market looks expensive until you take into account interest rates. Right. This yeah. time it's different. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, possibly. But if you also look at the Buffett indicator, it hasn't been that great at predicting crashes. Yeah. It's a 10-year rolling average for a start, so it might, you know, lag by a year or two in getting it right. Yeah. Yeah, and as you say, it might be right for a couple of years, even longer before the market crashes. So I say that? Yeah. Well, just, you just said it before. Yeah, I, was, yeah. I said as you say. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. I can oh. take credit for that, as I've always said. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that the rule? Yeah, since you heard it from Tony. Yeah. The, the, the rule of quoting, you remember that? It's like the first time you quote something, you say, as Tony Coniston says... The second time you say, as someone says, the third time it's as, as I've always said. So that's the, the three rules <laughs> of quoting. But yeah, look, it's a valid thing to always think about and have in the back of your mind. It's going to come. And I think, you know, when we did shows around the, the COVID cough and, and I said to people, good time to gear up, I think it's now a good time to reduce debt. And, you know, don't, I'm not selling anything. I'm still fully invested, but don't do things which might be detrimental in a, a decline. And, you know, that's the other thing too with all these things that the Buffett indicator could write itself by the stock market going sideways for five years mm -hmm. or by the American economy increasing but not the stock market. So it's not the only – a crash isn't the only outcome yeah. of the Buffett ratio forecast. My son Taylor was telling me the other day that somebody he knew was telling him that it's a good time right now to go out and invest heavily in property. Well, after it's risen by about 30 or 40%. Yeah, it's <laughs> booming. It's a great time to go out there and invest in property. Like, really? Wow. It's always a great time to invest in property. All the indicators <laughs> I see is that things are peaky. I don't know. It's a good time. But what do I know? Tell you who's not now casting, New South Wales government. Yeah, I don't know things are peaky either. What I was going to say, who's not now casting is the New South Wales government because I saw this story today that's just come out where they knew about the super spreader event in June and then they didn't do anything about it. for. They didn't put Sydney in lockdown for a few days. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're, they're not now casting. They're feeding the chooks. That's all they're doing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've stopped that. Travis isn't even feeding the chooks anymore no. each day. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. That's a reference to Joe Bjorki-Peterson, the younger people who haven't heard that expression. Now, then you need to explain who Joe Bjorki-Peterson is to them. It's, yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a minefield. Okay, yeah. moving right along. Let's see what's next on my list. CVW hired investment bankers to test appetite for a sale of the business now that it is predominantly a life insurance business. Yeah, so CVW was a pull of pork, pull apart, <laughs> pulled pork, there, 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 recently. <laughs> and yeah, so I thought I'd just mention that I read an article in the Fin last week that so Crescent Capital owned a large part of Clearview Wealth and the share price has been going up dramatically in the last week or so, mainly because they, Clearview Wealth have sold off their financial advice business 
And this is part of a restructure that Clearview, Crescent Capital is leading for Clearview Wealth. And they, Crescent Capital and Clearview Wealth have just lined up some investment bankers to look at whether there is any interest in buying Clearview Wealth from the large life insurance businesses around the world. Listeners may be aware that all of the major banks in Australia, I think all of them, have divested their life insurance businesses, including AMP, which sold off theirs recently or last year. And uh, they're, they're all getting out of the life insurance business as it's kind of a, it's a scale thing now. You've got to have large worldwide economies of scale to make it work. Although I guess Clearview Wealth is disproving that because it's a profitable business for them. But the conventional thinking is it's, it needs scale. And so, you know, basically the large insurance businesses around the world, life insurance businesses have been buying out the Australian life insurance companies. And so that could also be the reason why Clearview Wealth share price is going up. So this could be a takeover target coming up. Well, that's good. Where's the share price mm. at today? Let me have a look. CVW, 68.5 cents. Down a little bit, actually, from last week. But yeah. Yeah. But look at the share price graph for it. It's jumped from 55 to 68.5 in the last week. Yeah. Two weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Two weeks. Yeah. Yep. Very good. Anyway, so not financial advice, just general advice. Uh, do your own research. Speaking of do your own research, uh, last week in our buy list, we had CCV quite up near the top. And by the time one of our intrepid mm. listeners, Rob, did his own analysis on the Monday, I think, it had dropped from a nice QAV score to a QAV score of zero. He sent yep. me an email, said, what am I doing wrong? And I said, I don't know, let me have a look at it. And I did a download and I also got zero. So I emailed <laughs> you and you said, oh, I've also got zero because their results came out on Monday. They did, yeah. And their operating cash flow has just dramatically fallen in the interim. So their price to operating cash flow has then gone up dramatically and they've fallen off our buy list with a QAV score of zero. Yeah. Which just goes to demonstrate why we tell people. <laughs> yes. Do your own. Yeah. That's Especially in company reporting season where things yeah. can change daily. Yeah. Absolutely. So that yeah. literally went from one day it was at the top of our list to the next day it was off our list. Yeah. And it doesn't necessarily mean you should sell CCV. Again, it's up to you. But if I have a look at it, I think from memory the price is still holding up. We have it in our Nevex portfolio, I think, don't we? Uh, we do. No, we don't. We did yeah. once no? upon a time, okay. but we've we did. sold right. it. Yeah. Okay. So if I was holding CCV, I would still three-point trade it from here. Yeah. Uh, yeah, even though it's dropped off our buy list. Yeah. We do have it in our hmm. I thought we rebought it recently. Yeah. Sorry, it's saying 0%. That must just be the growth today. Yeah, no, we do own it. Yeah, yeah so it's uh, let's have a look at its share price history. It's trading at 26.5 cents today. It's you know, a lot lower than it was a couple of years ago, but, yeah, it's, it's sort of as high as it's been for the last couple of years right now, way above its sell line by the looks of it. Yeah, it is, isn't it? But still above its Which buy is- line as well. Mm-hmm. But yes, definitely. We wouldn't buy it today because its QAV score dropped down to zero. And this is one of those interesting ones that I, was, I spoke about, I think, last week, where when I back tested a little bit for this, if it, if a stock does do this, like sometimes they go down and sometimes they they continue to go well. And I haven't worked out, you know, what the difference is between those two groups. So sometimes holding on to a stock that goes below 0.05, like this one has, can be a good thing. And Macquarie Group is an example of that. And sometimes it's a bad thing where, you know, if it doesn't have much operating cash, there's a reason and may not be good for the future of the company. So we'll have to watch this. 
I was wondering if you left those stocks today in, even though they were Josephine's, because of a dividend issue, but um, it was just an oversight. Oh, I think one was AXI, and and I think uh, I don't think it pays a dividend. But the reason AXI was left in, and again, this is me making up the rules as I go, is that it was only down by half a cent this month. So it was eight cents a share at the end of last month. It's now seven point five cents a share this month, and I had just put a rule of thumb in which said if it was still within half a cent of its uh, closing price, I wasn't going to make it a Josephine because, you know, that can fluctuate around quite a lot based on half a day's trade or an hour's trade. So right, that's why I, I did that. And there's a couple of other cases in there too. The difference I think with this stock, with AXI, is that it's such a low price that half a cent is actually a meaningful number for it. Yeah. Yeah, whereas some of the other ones, I forget now what they were, but they'll probably – Dollar fifty a share, and so half a cent wasn't a big fluctuation for it. Well, the only ones that people asked about today, Doug asked about MYR arguments from people about the Josephines. But I'll get that in a second. I think MYR is a Josephine. I think AXI yes. is too. And the other one that Andrew Flipman picked up was Sun. I think you yeah. had that as a Josephine. I don't know why. I think there must have just been a blip. It was an error. Yeah. Yep. Because it looks good, right? It's going up. Yes. Look, it could possibly be just a, an error. And I made the comment back to you that we need some quality control in the, the buy list before too much longer, which we'll do. We have a plan. And we have a plan to do, yeah. Yeah, so that was just a mistake, I think. And without you know wanting to – it was my mistake, no excuses. But what was happening was I was downloading, re-downloading, re-downloading, and I think some of the Josephines got out of sync with the row they were they originally entered in, and I didn't find that one and correct it. And you've been in lockdown for 12 weeks and you're off the booze. So, you know, these things compound. It's like, <laughs> co- yeah, we understand compound interest. This is compound. Right. Compound COVID. <laughs> compound <laughs> side effects of COVID, yeah. Yeah. Now, the Josephine's yeah. thing, look, I, I, I might be wrong here. You know, you and I had this discussion on the show and I've been having it with people on Facebook and I'm quite happy to say I could be wrong. But people say, well, they, they want to leave the Josephines in or they want to point them out in the spreadsheet as you've done in your latest mm. sheet, which I have to make publicly available. But I don't, I still don't understand it because when I'm doing a sheet, I check the sentiment on all the stocks that, that are in the top 30 or whatever, right? It doesn't matter. So for me, I don't see the value in highlighting them as a Josephine because I'm going to I'm gonna check everything anyway because I know the sentiment can change overnight. You know, sentiment can go up. You can be negative. You can be below the sell line and then above the buy line a day later. I mean, so I have to check everything. So I, I still don't understand why people think Josephines need to be called out separately. As you know, I'm 50-50 on this one. I think we should call it out separately and then people can make their own decisions. There are people, as we know from feedback, who will buy a stock if it's above the buy line regardless of its most recent trend. So, you know, they just think it's cheaper buying, which which I kind of get. I haven't been doing that. The other thing that, you know, is in, I guess some background to Josephine's, which I think is important. The first piece is that I've never put as Jose- I've never put things in the checklist to check for Josephine. It's just part of my buying process. So... If I find a stock I'm likely to buy, it meets my criteria of ADT, it's a it's a buy on the buy list. Before I actually pull the trigger, I'll look at its its most recent trend in the current month. And if it's if that's trending down, I'll hold off. That's just how I do it. So the process that I use kind of comes after the checklist. I'm also concerned that that process came about because if you look at some stocks like Adairs, for example, 
it's big enough for me to buy. It's on the buy list, but it's, you know, most recent performance is horrendous. It's come off a peak. It's still trending down. So unless you're one of those sort of average dollar cost value investors who will keep buying on the way down and then average out their cost as it rises again, I'm not going to buy it. I'm going to wait for it to have some kind of uptrend or turnaround before I, you know, can see that it's not a Josephine, it's worth buying again. Where it becomes tricky is like the ones we just talked about, like um, like looking at Suncorp today, it was price has gone down today. It's kind of just in an uptrend. And if you look at, well, that one we just talked about, uh, AXI, it's like half a cent in a downtrend. Are they still worth not buying? I probably would buy both of those if, if they're on my list of things to buy, even though they're slightly down because they're not down much. They're not like a, an Adairs or they're not like a, like the other one I, I struggled with for a while was JB Hi-Fi, which I own. I'll, I'll declare that. So, yeah, that was the reason for starting Josephine's. If we start getting finicky, do we take into account ex-dividends? So, like, Suncorp is ex-dividend. Do we add that back before working out of Josephine? Do we take into account which week of the month we're in? Because in the first week of the month, it's going to be – it could be a large swing, but it's based on, again, a couple of cents in the price movement. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure we're going to be able to land on some real definitive rules here, but – I think it's worthwhile doing so people can make their own minds up. And I think it's worthwhile flagging so they can see what we're doing. But, uh, yeah, I'd leave it there. Fair enough. What's next? Oh, you want to introduce Spacecraft Publishing. Yeah, I just wanted to mention that it's now uh, people who have read our disclaimers and maybe you and I are the only ones. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> And Henry. <laughs> and Henry, yes, from uh, our licensee or our licensor. Yeah, they'll see that the AFSL... So we have an author, a corporate authorised representative licence with the AFSL holder, which is another company, and that CAR, the corporate authorised rep licence, is held by a company called Spacecraft Publishing, which I own, and uh, that's why people will see it, our disclaimers. And if anyone's wondering what it is, it's just simply a holding company for QAV, or at least as far as the licensing goes. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Audit reports. Talk to me about audit reports, Tony. Oh, my God, the audit reports. <laughs> Again, another 50-50. Apollo Tourism and Leisure results came out and they scored well. I think they're about a 0.4 on the QAV list. No, no, no. And we, I thought, they, okay, is it time? They don't score well. You had to apply the Apollo Tourism discount on that time. It's, <laughs> I've told you. <laughs> yeah, it's, so. a, it's a 100% <laughs> discount on Apollo Tourism and Leisure all the time. <laughs> anyway, so when I did my download and saw ATL, I, I went straight to the audit report to see if it had improved because it, the history of this one is that two halves ago, it was a, a qualified audit. One half ago, they changed auditors and it wasn't a qualified audit anymore. It was just a key audit matter. And that, that looked a little bit suspicious to me. And now it's the same auditors, two halves in a row, and it's still a key audit matter. And, and when I say it, it's the question mark about whether ATL will continue to be able to trade and the original auditors called it out as an emphasis of matter, which is what we look for in qualified audits. And the emphasis of matter in that case was the ability to continue as a going concern. To be fair to Apollo Tourism and Leisure, and I, I really spent a lot of time drilling into their numbers, on the plus side, they've done a lot of cost reduction. So they've sold a lot of their inventory, which they rent out, which was the hardest part of the, which was the part of the business that was hardest hit by COVID. And they've also have a, probably half the business or so is manufacturing and selling RVs. That's been doing well, just like any other sort of car sales have been doing well during COVID. So half the business does well. Half the business was doing poorly. They've downsized the half that's doing poorly, which is good. They've they've received a truckload of government support 
which has helped because they've been able to pay down debt. The question mark in my mind is if COVID lingers around, which it might do in the Northern Hemisphere winter, which they're going into, and ATL operate in Canada and the UK and New Zealand and elsewhere in the US, certainly would be exposed to another COVID extended lockdown in the Northern Hemisphere winter. And the question mark in my mind is, would they continue to get government support and will that affect their business? On the plus side, they said that they have lots of real estate, which they own for their travel agent kiosk, which they could sell. So potentially, again, they, they could survive another year of, of COVID without much government support. And also, too, they they call out that, again, this issue of the leases on their vehicles are, con- are treated as short-term liabilities, whereas the assets are long-term assets and they don't match up. And it's kind of an accounting trickery there, which makes them look like they'll struggle to pay their debts. So I accept that. And the other thing that I'll say is that their cash on hand looks like it would allow them to trade for another couple of years, maybe three years as well. So yeah, I think they probably could survive. This is a classic contrarian trade where you're taking on some amount of risk, but if it comes off, you'll get paid really well because if when Apollo Tourism and Leisure come out the other side, the share price will go gangbusters. I call it out. I've left it off the buy list. I've called it a qualified audit again. It's not a qualified audit, but it's a red flag for me. Um, the fact that it has all these issues around how much government support will they receive, how much do they have to sell or downsize the business to continue trading versus getting all the upside when it comes out on the other side. So originally I actually went on went on to the uh, manually entered data Google sheet and took it off as a qualified audit. And then a day later I put it back on as I went deeper into their numbers. So I think it's worthwhile calling it out to people. If you're aggressive and, and aren't allocating too much capital to it, then it's probably a good bet. But, you know, safety first, I think in this case, I, I don't feel, I, I take, really take the responsibility of QAV seriously. And, and I think safety first, I, I wouldn't recommend it on the buy list for people, but it may suit some risk pro- profiles for people out there. I think I banned you from ever adding it to the list ever again, I seem to recall. And secondly, I think technically they received not a truckload of support from the government. I think it was more like a camper van load of support they got from the government. (laughs) (laughs) Couldn't not take a swing at that one. All right. Yeah, Yeah, I know people. I do enjoy trying to slip it back into the (laughs) bio every six months. You enjoy trying to get me drunk and slip it in when I'm not paying attention. (laughs) I know. And again, uh, if you make the case for ATL, you're really forecasting that we're going to come through COVID in the next six months, that the Northern Hemisphere won't have another down, another sort of, you know, savage winter for a new version of COVID. It's all forecasting. Mm-hmm. I, it, I almost wait to, to give up the first initial boom in the stock price and, and check the figures again in six months' time and see if, you know, they're better and we have more solid footings. Seriousness, I make fun of Apollo because of our history with them, but I look at stocks like this and I'm like, look, if there was nothing else to buy, it's like, Ooh. you know. Yeah, I agree. If there was no other girls to date, okay, but plenty of, there's plenty of <laughs> much more attractive, emotionally stable girls out there that I can date. <laughs> I, I don't need to date Apollo Tourism when she's already <laughs> – you know, let me down, I think, three times in the course of doing this show where we've right. taken her out. We've, we've invited her out to dinner and she just was a no-show, just didn't turn up. So yeah, you're just not committed. You're not committed. No, I'm not. I don't want <laughs> she it. She can sense it. I don't want it that badly. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> it's a good point. And it, it, it's a, it reminds me of a manga saying that you don't have to dance with every girl at the dance. Exactly. That's my point. 
Well, that's all the time we have for the free episode this week. Um, on the, the, the the premium episode, the QAV Club episode went for about another hour. It was like a 90-minute runtime in total this week. Um, what else did we talk about? We talked about lobbying ASIC, about 4E statements, Josephine's being due to dividend drops. Tony talked about Charlie Munger's always invert lesson. Uh, Tony's pulled pork this week was on AIS, Aeris Resources. James asked about modifying the QAV process for commodities. We talked about that. Steve asked about WMC's audit. Dave asked about running multiple portfolios. Edward asked about inflation. Mark asked about how Tony picks large cap stocks. And uh, so anyway, that's for the QAV Club episode. But, uh, you know, for those of you just on the free episodes, that's it for this week, unfortunately. Stay safe and uh, good luck with your investing. We'll be back next week. QAV Podcast is a production of Spacecraft Publishing Proprietary Limited, authorised representative of AFSL 520442, AFS representative number 00129271. Please don't make any investment decisions based solely on listening to this podcast. This is presented as general advice only, not personal financial advice. We don't know your personal financial circumstances. Please see a financial planner before making any investing decisions.